Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and Julie Harris, we are back. Yes, indeed. And this is another podcast inspired by uh, a confluence of questions that come in from Instagram or text people texting, or certainly primarily from our Premier Coaching um, page, where students are asking questions. And the question is, all right, so I didn't take the listing. How do I figure out why? Or why didn't the seller hire me? And these types of things. And I have to say, a lot of people join Premier Coaching after they have had maybe one or two significant losses, usually them not taking a listing from somebody they thought for sure they were going to get the listing from. A surprise loss. Right. A surprise loss. And I, I mean, usually it's not just one. It's usually a string of surprise losses. Yes. And then they accept the fact that they need to get their game on, get their skills on so they can actually start being more competitive and start winning more mm-hmm. often than they lose. So what we're going to be doing is focusing today on why you didn't take the listing. Because the reality of it is, in real estate, listings are the most important thing. They are the whole business. If you want to list, you know, it's the oldest saying in the book, but Mm -hmm. if you want to last in real estate, you have to be a listing agent. There's not a single one of you listening right now, except for maybe the newest of the new agents who haven't figured this out yet, that if you had to choose between having five active great listings and, you know, 20 buyers, you're going to choose the five active great listings every single day. There's just no question about that. There's so many different ways you can leverage it, even, a, you know, any listing into other transactions, into uh, more listings, the whole thing. So you have to be a listing agent. That has to be where you're directing all your best energies every single day. And it is incredibly frustrating that when you finally get in a listing appointment and you're in this, you know, you talk with the seller, you do your best cat and monkey show and you don't take the listing and you want to know why we're going to be going through the whys on this podcast. So make sure you're taking great notes. And also remember, if you want to join Premier Coaching, the link to do so is in the description below, along with all of today's notes. So as Julie and I are going through our uh, podcast today, you'll see that we actually follow a dun dun dun. A script. A script, right, (laughs) that we wrote for ourselves. And so the script in our notes are down below. Just open up the show description. It's on iTunes, Spotify, certainly over on YouTube. And also therein, you will find the link to join Premier Coaching. That's right. So here's a fact. Of all the activities in real estate, listings require the highest skill level. Working with buyers is physical labor. Working with listings is mental labor. Let's let's help her there because you thought of that. I don't even know, probably 15 years ago. And I think that is one of the most true truisms in real estate that there ever was. And can you really drill down on specifically what you meant by working with buyers? So people working with buyers are going to go, what are you talking about, Julie Harris? (laughs) Working with buyers also requires skill. Sure. Okay. But, and I think you're very clear, especially in today's market, physical labor, you know, you're driving around, you're researching listings, you're, you know, you're, you're spending all of your time unlocking lockboxes. And if you live in certain states, shoveling your way to those showings, right? So it is literally physical labor, but working with listings is mental labor because you have so much more preparation and a real contract and things of that nature. Well, the, 
you know, simple fact is, admit it or not, listeners, that a lot of you are attracted to working primarily with buyers because it requires very little skill set. Because there is not a single one of you listening, and Julie and I have sold thousands of homes, okay? So let's just put this in perspective. Mm -hmm. There is not a single one of you listening that has ever actually sold a house in the sense that you sold them something they weren't going to buy anyway. You did not, maybe an investor, that might be an aside, but a normal buyer, you open the door or even if they see it from the street, they're going to buy it, frankly, whether you're there or not. There is no such thing as talking a buyer into buying a home that they didn't no, want to buy anyway. it's impossible. It just is the same as there's no such thing as talking a seller into selling their home that they don't want to sell. So yes, technically you sold the house, but really the house sold itself. And so you know that and you've experienced that and buyers are going to buy anyway. And the other thing with working with buyers is because the buyers, at least up until probably, you know, recently... They are not actually even aware, many of them, how you're getting paid. They're right. not paying you. You work for them, or at least you know their perception is, is that you're working for them for free because they're not actually paying you any money because traditionally the seller has been paying the buyer agent commissions. Will that be changing in the near future as we've been warning for the last five years? We do believe it will be, but for now and for this podcast, that's why. it hasn't. You haven't had to justify your commission to the buyer uh, you, frankly, haven't had to learn that many sales skills to sell the house to the buyer. They were going to buy it anyway. And what did you have to do? You had to be yourself. You had to be friendly. You had to be social. You had to, you know, probably... Write a decent contract. Write that's a different, true. Yeah, even that's automated anymore. A lot <laughs> of the true. contracts autofill. Yeah, so contrast that with the skills required to take a listing, right? So the seller is much more in tune with the fact that, yes, they are indeed paying you. So you've got to justify your value. You've got to show your value during that appointment. You might even be competing for it. And I think there's another big difference between buyers and sellers. Buyers are usually very excited by themselves or getting something. And sellers, not always so much. There's lots of different circumstances you've got to navigate through with the seller. You have to do a seller's net sheet. You have to show all that value. So that is skilled, uh, you know, working with buyers is physical labor, listings is mental labor. Now, here's a myth that floats around in real estate offices. Here's the myth. It's okay, and you should expect to list only 50% of what you go on in terms of listing appointments versus listings taken. Yet, you wouldn't accept a grade of 50% from your kids, so why do you think it's acceptable for you? That's a failing grade. So we're going to look at at least 10 reasons, I think I ended up with 12 here, that agents don't walk away with assigned paperwork on a listing appointment. We need to actually, I think, talk a little bit about that. If anybody who's in a position of leadership or management Anybody that you're seeing as somebody you should be listening to for, let's just call it advice or coaching with regards to your real estate career, and they tell you it's okay to win only half the time, you've got to understand that that person is not, frankly, good enough for you. They're not qualified for... You should not be listening to them is what I'm trying to politely say. No. Because they're telling you to basically... Think of all the huge (laughs) effort and the frustration and all the things... That they're, the mediocrity they're trying to get you to sign yourself up for. So if someone says to you, and I've heard this in the coaching industry, you and I Tons have for the times. last 25 years, mm-hmm. you have to assume that you're not going to take 50% of the listings. That makes zero sense to me. If you've set a pre-qualified listing appointment, if you know the person's motivation, if you set a pre-listing pack, if you give, you know, essentially our listing presentation, you're going to win like 100% of the time. That should be the expectation. You take 100% of the listings you yes. go on. If you, most of the work as a listing agent, is done before you even get to the house. 
or it should be, assuming that you follow the seven-step listing process, which, by the way, you have a podcast from us about. Okay. And it's also obviously in Premier Coaching, and I told you mm -hmm. the link, and you can join Premier Coaching for free. Just scroll down and just click join. It takes like seven seconds. That's right. So another fact, listing agents do make more money and have more solid businesses and more free time than buyer's agents do. The more listings you have, the more security you'll have mentally, emotionally, and financially especially in today's market. Now, here's another fact, and then we're going to get on to our reasons. Becoming a successful li listing agent is the most challenging, most skilled-based, and highest-paid part of your job. Not becoming great at this is a liability to your career. So make the commitment to learn the most important part of your job as a real estate professional. All right, now we're going to go through these next points relatively quick because we've added these a bunch of times, and so they're pretty self-explanatory. But really, here's the conclusion for the introduction. Uh, when you're a listing agent, you have leverage. The listings act as leverage for you. When you're a buyer's agent, you're the leverage. That's essentially yes. the way to think of it. When you're a listing agent, you're going to have five listings. Julie, I'm surprised you didn't tell the story, but someone sent us a picture once of her golden retriever in front of a uh, fireplace yeah. with a cup of coffee and on her iPad, she was listening to our podcast and she was relating, she was messaging us with that image showing, uh, explaining to us that and it was also a big snowy ass day. Do you remember who that was? I do. It was Mary in New York. Okay. okay. And so she had, and there was snow in the, in the window, you know, it was like a blizzard outside. And she said, you know, I finally realized the power of being a listing agent because I'm here in front of my fireplace with my golden retriever and I've got other agents slogging through the snow showing my listings. In fact, I've got pretty much every buyer's agent out there looking for my listings and here I am enjoying my afternoon just calling other sellers to get even more listings. So you see, it's even a different lifestyle than a buyer's agent. And if for the, those of you, I mean, this isn't one of your myths, but if for those of you who believe there's not enough listings out there for, I, and I get it, you know, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of inventory. I, I'm just going to summarize it by, you know, putting it this way. For every listing, there's a buyer. For every buyer, obviously, there's a listing. So if you look at the total number of transactions that happen every year, it's almost always 50% buyer sides, 50% listing sides. So why don't you just choose to be working on the 50% that's going to give you the leverage versus you being somebody else's leverage? All right, so the ten, yes. top 10 reasons agents don't walk away with uh, signed listing paperwork. In other words, you lost the listing. Here is why, point number one. Point number one. And again, we're going to go through these quickly because you can find our notes. All right, point number one. You assumed that it was yours and you were lazy in your presentation. You took the business for granted. Now, this manifests in several major mistakes. You showed up late or you did not even give a real presentation. Grizzled veterans, you are the most gu uh, guilty at this. Well, the most guilty, but also the ones that are just centers of influence and past client types. 100%. The one that you guys show up like you're, you know, stopping over the, uh, the you know, seller's house for afternoon for coffee and, you know, mm -hmm. catching up with the neighborhood gossip and you have no presentation. You have really nothing. You've just arrogantly thought you were going to take the listing. And then you find out you lose the listing because you competed against the new agent who you didn't even know their name, whose you know, ink hasn't even dried on their real estate license yet, but they followed our listing presentation. They sent a pre-listing pack. They didn't take the business for granted. That's those, right. those are the types of experiences that feel like a punch in the face because you felt entitled to the listing. You are not entitled to the listing. You have got to be clear that in a market, especially like this one, 
you're going to be competing 100% of the time. Now, it also might have been very closely related, a lack of pre-qualifying questions or not being careful with price. Some other mistakes under this point are things like rescheduling, not looking and sounding your best, all again being presumptive. This mistake is more common with veteran agents when they assume that their past clients or friends won't talk with other agents. What if their spouse knows another agent, right? Everybody, in a, all sellers in a market like this are going to be, even if they, uh, by the way, in our pre-qual script, we want you to ask if they're interviewing other agents. That's not how you ask the question. That's a, obviously That's done. point number two. Okay. Well, okay. There you go. Thank you. Point number two. Yes. Sorry. You didn't actually know that you were competing for the listing because you didn't ask that question. This is the result of not using a pre-qualification script. If you don't know whether you're competing or not, you're at a disadvantage. You should almost always go last in the lineup because that is the closing position. But also you should know if, if you're competing, who are you competing against and why? Because you want to do some real homework prior to getting to the house and find out if, you know, if the seller will tell you if you use our pre-qualification script, if you're competing and who you're competing with. Well, isn't that incredibly powerful information to know? Let's say, for example, you are a, a decent producing agent, as most of you are, and you're now finding out, you're listening uh, to what we're saying, you're finally ready to get your game on, you're going to take your listing process and your listing presentation, you're going to take all this to the next level. That is the biggest bang for the buck you can be doing right now. Some of you are saying, I'm going to work on my brand, I'm going to work on my logo, I'm going to work on my lead funnels. I'm gonna... No, the best thing you can be doing right now is really drilling down and becoming the most powerful listing agent. That's what's going to put money in your pocket the fastest. That's what's going to keep money in your pocket the longest because that's a skill set that won't, you know, obviously degrade provided you're, you know, staying on top of it and going on listing appointments and whatnot and staying frosty. But at the end of the day, the bottom line is you've got to be following a process. You have to be following a system. And if you know who you're competing prior to going on the appointment, you can do some homework on who those other agents are. So let's say, for example, you are the Midland agent. You're, you know, you sell a decent number of homes per year. The seller tells you who you're competing with. Go to the MLS, find out exactly, does that agent even sell in your marketplace? Has that agent had a lot of expireds? Has, well, that'd be good for the seller to know that, you know, Mr. Seller, do you realize Bob has essentially listed 10 houses and only five of them sold? Or Bob hasn't actually ever taken a listing before. I've got an example of that, okay? Coaching client out in Long Beach. Got tired of losing not once, not twice, but three times to the same discount agent, okay? Now, how did she know that? Because the third time she finally started using the pre-qualification script, found out it was the exact same agent and was going to use the same jib-jab, cut the commission probably overpriced. Now, she did what you mentioned. She looked up that other agent in the MLS. And she went to that next listing knowing that that agent had only taken two listings ever in their career and had done something like 18 buyer sides. Use that in the presentation to say, you know, you do want a listing agent, right? Not just somebody that specializes in buyers. And in that case, won that time. But it wasn't until she had lost twice and finally did the research and finally used the pre-qualification script that she started winning. Well, this is all, ex this, you can learn this like she did. I know who you're talking about, by yeah. the way through experience, i.e. losing, those are expensive lessons. And her market Very. of Long Beach, she probably lost $30,000 because she didn't least. follow the pre-qualification script. Yep. That's expensive education right there. Mm -hmm. I mean, don't you know, don't that, lather, rinse, and repeat that. That's that's maybe two years of uh, you know going to a, sure. st a state uh, college or university. <laughs> yeah. You guys get what I'm saying? That's called dumb. Don't lose because you, know, you didn't follow the system. Pre-qual every single time. Never... Uh, go on any listing appointments unless you know the answers to all the pre-qual scripts. That's right. Point number three, you didn't know what price the seller had in mind before you showed up. 
This doesn't mean they're right about the price, but you should know what's going on in their pricing brain before you present your CMA. Sometimes sellers know about private sales that may affect pricing, and the market is full of sales like this currently. So here's a secret. Don't ever allow the seller to know more about comparable sales than you do. The only solution to this is the seller pre-qualification script where you ask questions like, which recently sold home in your neighborhood is yours most similar to? In which they will answer that question and tell you why their house is better and why they want their price. Right. And there are so many little online, I'm not saying they're accurate, but little online widgets that'll give them an idea of what their home's value is you know, Zillow and the rest of it, you know, I did read something funny. So mm-hmm. Zillow's uh, iBuyer business basically went kerplooey. Yep. So isn't that the al- the ultimate uh, validation that their, um, <laughs> that Zillow- their estimate isn't so accurate? Maybe their estimate when used at a, at scale is, you know, just, you got- We'll you guys- run your business into the ground? <laughs> yes. Exactly. You okay. get the point. I mean, you know, they lost, I, I think it was something like a freaking like $700 million or something. It was staggering. Ugh, but anyway, yeah. all right, point number four. <laughs> yes, the greatest Zillow objection handler. All right, point number four, you don't know the competition or the neighborhood well enough to speak with authority. Competition meaning the other competing homes. Secret, preview the competition, the competing homes. Know the average days on the market, not just for the town or city, but the actual neighborhood. Know the list to sell price ratio for the latest comparables and know if that's going up or down or remaining stable. And we do need to put in there, I just scanned your points. I don't think you have anything in there. Nope, you don't. Definitely with Julie's that point that we just talked about, make sure you know all of the new construction competition. The new construction competition will new new homes in virtually every market. Obviously, there's some you know reasons why this won't be true, but new construction will almost always hand resale. Uh, homes it their butt. In other words, new construction is that much more desirable. And right now, new construction also, because a lot of the builders are buying the rates down by something like 2%, you can walk in right now to most new builders and get a rate, a 30-year fixed rate in the floors. Yep. And that's gonna and that means also the seller or rather the buyer is going to be able to buy a new home that's probably bigger with a more modern floor plan and all the rest of it, which will cost them less money because there's not going to be like a resale is always going to have things breaking on it. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's mm-hmm. no such thing as a house that doesn't break, like it doesn't break all the damn time. I mean, we have dozens of rentals. Let me tell you, yep. they break all the damn time. But the moral of the story is new construction is much easier to sell, much more appealing. But really right now, because this interest rate environment, it's uh, new builders also have an unfair advantage because of the fact that they're buying rates down. You can do the same thing. You can get your sellers to do the same mm-hmm. thing. And we've done podcasts and lots of coaching about that. But just keep these things in mind. You must know what your new construction competition is. That's right. Point number five, you were overly rigid with your commission and or pricing. In addition, you didn't create a game plan so the seller still feels like they're winning. No, any other questions is not an effective script, especially if the seller's doing multiple transactions or a repeat client, a referring client, or somebody who's tight on funds to make the move. So here's the secret. All right, Julie's got to step out for a second. All right, the secret is learn how to use the unique selling propositions our coaches teach so the commission objection won't even come up. And if they, here's really the bottom line when you're uh, working with sellers like this, guys, is you have to do, again, we're always going back to the same thing. You have to pre-qualify them. You have to know what their motivation is. You have to know what their time frame is. You want to know the answer to that question. The most important uh, when you're setting the appointment in the first place, the most important thing to know is why the seller is selling. Because if you know the sell- why the seller is selling, you effectively have got essentially the keys to the kingdom in getting that listing, don't you? Now, how many of you go on listing appointments or have been quote unquote trained to go on listing appointments 
and not uh, and not ask really tough questions. Like, for example, getting out of the seller what their motivation is, knowing what their uh, th- what they think the house is worth, knowing who you're competing with. How many of you have no- have basically talked yourselves out of going on listing appointments, being fully prepared, and knowing all the answers to those questions? Because why? You either listen to the wrong person, or you never even listen to anybody, or you're afraid to ask the tough questions because you're fearful that you're going to run the seller off. In other words, you know, you're worried that you're going to ask questions that somehow the seller is going to take offensively and you're going to then uh, lose the opportunity to go on the listing appointment. What I'm here to tell you that all of those things are basically head junk because the, the more uh, pre-qualification you do, the better prepared you are, the uh, easier the listing appointment goes, the less stress it is for you and the less stress it is for the seller. There's the point, the seller does not like arguing with you about commission. Sellers do not like arguing with you about price. Sellers don't even want you in their damn house. Nope. They don't want you in the house at all. You're inconvenient. You're cl- you're a big, dark cloud of stress. I don't care how much you think they love you. They just assume have their house back so they can watch Wheel of Fortune. You guys getting what I'm saying here? I'm trying to make you laugh, but that is the truth. So one of the ways or one of the key reasons why you will take the listing when you're following our listing process is because you've removed 99% of all of the things that they hate about dealing with getting their homes for sale because you pre-qualified, because you already know what the price is prior to getting there, because that's not a big wrestling match, because the commission objection is already solved, because, because, because you were a professional. That's the bottom line. That's right. So remember, if they have to sell, consider listing it a bit over the price if you have to, if you believe it's correct, but have a plan to reposition the price if you don't get offers in two weeks. Again, we go into this in coaching with your price reduction scripts and how to do that. But the point is, if they are motivated, don't walk away from it if you didn't get your price. That's now, what point number keep five Keep that is in about. mind. Right. Keep that in mind that you are, if competing, you will often, if, especially if you position yourself as last, you will often be able to find out when you're following our system, what if you don't know for sure what the seller thought they, you know, I think my house is maybe worth six to six, to six fifty. Well, if you're competing against two other agents and you're the third one in, at that point, you're going to have to assume that at least one of those other agents, the lowest skilled agent, mm-hmm. will have blown that you know price out of the water and told the seller, "Oh no, your house is worth eight twenty-five." Right. Well, you need to know what the seller is thinking, and you need to get a realistic expectation of what the seller. Uh, wants to list it for because that other agent who gave them this ridiculous price uh, who essentially fed the uh, seller's uh, greed, right? Ego. That might in itself be enough motivation for that seller to list with that other agent. So some cases you're going to have to overprice to take the listing. But what you need to do is you need to set that up from the start saying something along the lines of, Mr. Seller, listen, I, I love your house. I completely understand well, even though the market is telling us it's worth, you know, 600000 don't say I or don't say my CMA, right. say the market. Even though the market is telling us it's worth 600000 now that I've seen it, you're right. Your backyard and the improvements you made are spectacular. And this is an extraordinary house and doesn't necessarily fit any of the most recent sale comps. So let's go ahead and let's price it at, you know, 639 or whatever. Let's go ahead and price it at, the, at 639 and let's agree to this, that after two weeks or 10 showings, you can adjust accordingly, listeners, depending on your market. If we don't have a real written verified offer on your property that will reposition the house on the market so that correctly reflects the buyer's expectations. So let's write it down in our calendars that on this particular day, that if we don't actually have a you know an offer on the property, that we're going to revisit the price so that it's more in alignment with um, the market's expectations. Look at all the words I didn't say. 
I didn't say lower the price. That's the main one. I didn't say my price, my CMA. I didn't make it so it was me against the seller. You guys understanding? This is the skills part. And once you get this stuff down, it's not hard. You're going to take listings over, even if, you know, Bob overpriced the listing and even, you know, to try to beat you in a listing, uh, you know, competition, Mm -hmm. basically is what it is. Even if he overpriced it and he cut his commission, you're now not allowing Bob to cheat to win. And so you're going to end up taking that listing. That's how you take 100%. Point number... Mistake number six. You used a canned presentation instead of asking what the seller needs and presenting that or what they want. Here's the secret. It is far more... uh, It's far easier and more effective to present based on what the seller actually values rather than assuming that you know already. And it shows respect. So show respect by asking questions and addressing their real concerns. We do teach you that in Premier Coaching in our listing section. Right. And those of you in Premier Coaching, it's, I I mean, I traditionally call that the Sharpie close. What do you call it? Yes, it is. Okay. That's, that's right. called the Sharpie close. So make sure you're using the actual listing presentation that we teach you guys to use. By the way, our listing presentation, when you follow it, you're going to be at the house um, sometimes for like less than 10 minutes, sometimes as long as like maybe 30 minutes. And if you're, you know, if you like to talk with them or they like to talk with you, <laughs> or if yeah. you're in the South, it's going to be a little bit longer, you know, cause people like to, you know, take the time to get to know you. But a lot smoother though. It's a lot smoother. And you're just focusing on what they care about when they're uh, choosing someone for the job of being their listing agent. You're not just going through a 30 page presentation talking about a bunch of crap they don't care about. And, you know, you, well, this is the way I've always done it, or this is the way I was taught to do it. Yeah, because your office manager said, well, you know, you just use a canned presentation because they always say the same thing. So just do A, B, and C and be done with it. Nope. You ask the seller, and again, this is a scripted professional approach, what's important to them, and you just focus on those things, and then you move forward. That is what we teach you to do. And by the way, you can take that approach when you pre-qualified, when you send a pre-listing mm-hmm. pack, when you've actually, remember I told you your earlier listeners, that most of the winning uh, you know, takes place prior to even showing up for the listing appointment. In other words, the work is done prior to getting to the house. And when you're at the house, it's simple. Maybe two or three things they want to review, then you're out the door. It is not more difficult than that. And and you won't believe me when I tell you this, but many of our coaching clients over the years have experienced this as well. And I remember when Julie and I were experiencing this when we started, you know, when we were selling real estate, is that you will, because of the fact you pre-qualified, because of the fact you sent the pre-listing pa- uh, paperwork, be- uh, because of the fact that the in within the pre-listing pack, you sent net sheets and you sent um, in the actual listing paperwork for them to sign. You've done all the heavy lifting ahead of time. You will walk into the house sometimes. They will hand you the paperwork and they want you, they're like, they're on. Here it is. I've signed it. Goodbye. Have a nice yeah, evening. Exactly. I, I remember the first time that happened. It was Julie, awesome. I do. I remember exactly <laughs> what it was like. Yeah. Because you and I thought, well, we you know, it was a more expensive house. And we walked up, we went on li- more expensive listings together. We walked up, the seller opened the door. They handed us the folder back that was, you know, was the pre-listing pack, handed it back. Everything was signed and said, let me know when your photographer's coming by, you know, like bye-bye. literally that is how it happened. It was less than a five minute conversation. Yeah, exactly. And then it started happening like for every 10 appointments that we would set, it started happening maybe, I'd say maybe 10% of the time. Yeah. But it was like, okay, well that obviously works. Well, I'll <laughs> even take this to the next level. Yeah. Cause this is, a, this happens too. When you guys become really, really good. You're the competitors, air quoting competitors, they don't even want to compete with you anymore. So we would have situations where we would go on listing, we would set listing appointments, we would be the third listing appointment. Um, and then the seller would say you're the third. And then the other listing or the other competing agents would cancel the appointments because they knew they knew they were competing with us. That was awesome. Yeah. I and mean, that can be you guys too. So use this checklist to be properly 
prepared. Now, the, you know, the mindset, as you were talking, I was reminding myself, I've had this conversation with coaching clients. The mindset of a listing agent is that they are competing from the second they set that appointment. By sending the pre-listing package, by showing up on time, by doing all these things, it's not just right when you're in front of them. Julie and I, and all of you, should a, not ever accept losing. Find it like... It should it's, be offensive and repulsive to you. It, that is exactly what it should be. It should be repulsive. When you lose, you have to be intolerant of that loss and you must find out why you lost. And the worst thing you can do is blame something external. Well, they listed with the other agent because they told them a higher price. Oh, they listed with the other agent because they told them a lower commission. Oh, they listed with the other agent because they know him from golf or blah, 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 blah. You and your long list of excuses, what you're really doing is you're trying to shield yourself from having to uh, you know, feel the pain of the loss and with that pain, uh, usually uh, comes massive opportunities to learn and for you to get better because you're not going to want to feel that pain again. So if you remember, Julie was telling you the story earlier um, about the gal in Long Beach who had to feel the pain twice until on the third time she actually decided she didn't want to experience it anymore. There's an old lesson, their old proverb. I don't, I, I need to actually take the time and Google where this came from. But a smart man learns from his mistakes. A brilliant man learns from the mistakes of others. Signing up for coaching, following our program, that is all about avoiding these costly mistakes. The average commission in, the, in uh, you know, is what, 425000 You're going to assume that it's going to be well over 10000 the average commission. Yep. If you set an appointment and you lose the listing, you're not just losing 10000 You're losing maybe if that seller was going to buy something. Maybe you were going to sell yep. that house yourself to your own buyer. Maybe the neighbors were going to list with you when they saw that you sold the house. These losses are too damn expensive for you to be experimenting. Point number seven. Point number seven, or mistake number seven. This is so easy to fix. You showed up late. Being late is a huge mistake. Arriving late shows disrespect and will mean that you are already on bad footing before you even open your mouth. Early is on time, on time is late, and when you're late, you lose. Here's a secret. It's not just the analytical types, but it is especially them, that look to see if you're on time. Show up early and don't park in their driveway. Call first to confirm. Be professional if you expect to be paid like one. This is all part of our uh, listing process. It's all real drilled down on coaching. There's a lot of little micro steps. Julie just mentioned one, don't park in the driveway. There's a lot of little micro steps um, that you need to be following that give you an unfair advantage. There's little tiny things that you need to be doing when you're going on a professional sales uh, listing presentation that will make it so that without the seller even consciously realizing why you're different, they will feel that you're different. Even if you're a brand new agent with, hey, guess what? Julie and I sold over a hundred homes our first full year in real estate. We were brand new. Not every, not a single, well, one of the sellers, one, Carl, <laughs> we knew. <laughs> yeah. Nobody else did we know. These were all appointments from Frisbo's, expireds, and then us getting momentum, doing open houses, all the things we teach you to do in Premier Mirror Coaching. Not from buying business guys, not from branding. All of the things that we did are all the same things that tens of thousands of agents have done in the last 20 years Julie and I have been coaching. Mm -hmm. And it's worked in their markets, in all price mark, in all, I'm sorry, in all price ranges and all, you know, economic situations, whether it's a recession or a recovery or who the president is, doesn't matter. The fact is, is this listing process works. This listing process, our listing process is really the heart and the soul of our coaching program. Point number eight. 100%. Okay, number eight, you didn't use a pre-listing package or your pre-listing package looks like everyone else's. Without a great proven pre-listing package, a you're pre signing yourself up to hear objections. So you always have to remember, we have a broad you're audience, right? right? So <clears throat> like 18,000 are listening to this. 
I promise Maybe you, they don't know what it is. 9,000 don't know what a pre-listing okay, package is. Fair so enough. Tell them. Okay, so it is your silent salesperson. Your pre-listing package covers all of the objections before you get there. It talks about what makes you different. Those are called USPs, unique selling propositions, because that's what the seller asks. What makes you different? When you join Premier Coaching, we have created the pre-listing package for you. It is done. It is not canned. We want you to go there and, and personalize it. By personalizing it, we don't want you to change the nature of what the content is. But it, like, for example, the about me is going to be about you. You know, you're going to have testimonials, testimonials are, are going to be yours, things like that. But do your pre-listing package because your pre-listing package is actually your silent salesman. Include the other things that we ask you to include when you're sending your pre-listing package out. That You know, guys, if you had right now sitting on your desk 10 completed pre-listing packages as we have coached you to do, those 10 pre-listing packages represent, at least in many of your markets, over $100,000 in winnable commission for you. You now have to go out basically and find the motivated sellers after you pre-qualify them using our pre-qualification script. And you will be shocked how simple and elegant and streamlined our listing process is. Some of you have believed and frankly, you know, lied to. And you believe that becoming a listing agent is something you have to, you have to toil away working with buyers. Oh, one day you'll be up to listing agent, blah, 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 blah. You believe that it's harder than it is. You believe it has to be more complicated. No one's going to list with you if you don't have a brand. You've got to be the mayor of your town. You have to have 10,000 videos on YouTube before anyone's going to list with you. Those things are not true. None of them, all, none of those things are true. They've never been true. You can be, so I'll give you, I always like to use Chuck Williamson as my example. Chuck Williamson uh, is like 40, you know, I said his age wrong about six months ago and he messaged me cause he listens to the podcast. Mm-hmm. So Chuck, I think I'm going to get it right this time. I think he's 44 and Chuck earns well into the seven figures in net commission to him every year. He does no marketing and branding. It's him and one assistant and he has somebody that pounds signs. Mm-hmm. He does all of his work, Tim and Julie Harris textbook. He does exactly what we have prescribed. I'm sure he's added some Chuck Williamson over over the years that's made it even a little bit more. You know, he's in um, Wilson, North Carolina. Totally normal market. No, he doesn't live in some outrageously expensive market. Right. He has to sell hundreds of homes and he makes well over a million dollars to him every single year. He's part of our EXP Realty Group. Um, He's not the most successful in our EXP Realty Group, but he's one of the top 10. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that my point is he has no marketing, no branding. Uh, he, I had to show him how to use Facebook. He doesn't do any direct mail. Not a big team. He doesn't do any YouTube videos. The market, the industry doesn't celebrate people like Chuck because why they keep their head down. They do their work. They do a great job with, you know, helping their clients accomplish their goals. They make massive amounts of net profit with that net profit. They reinvest in other things that make them passive income and they become rich. What the industry wants you to do is become an ego maniac. The industry wants you to think you have to invest and spend, waste all of your money, marketing, branding, teams, postcards, da, 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 da. Why? Because there are, there has to be at least a billion dollars that's spent per year by agents buying stuff for their real estate businesses. And if uh, the industry is then subsidized, paid for, lobbied to support all of these uh, third-party companies selling stuff to agents, okay? You guys notice that Julie and I do not have any advertisers from CRMs and all these other companies. They solicit us constantly to be on our podcast. They, I, We could probably sell at least, I bet you three or four million dollars worth of ads per year mm-hmm. on this podcast if we allowed the company, those types of companies to market to all of you guys. But we won't do it. 
Now we will allow a, you know, maybe it'll be, um, you know, a nature box or Everblade or, Everblade or something yeah. like that. But we're not going to allow all these companies who we know most of their products you don't need and most of their products don't do what they promise they're going to do. Those are the types of companies that come and go depending on what the market conditions are. And most of them are going right now. The industry does not support, does not really celebrate the Chucks because Chuck doesn't really uh, celebrate how essentially the money is flowing between people like Julie and I and these third-party, you know, vendors. You guys understand? That's what's going on. That's the reason you listen to us because we have a unique voice because we're not bought and paid for. <laughs> also, we actually sold real estate. Yep. There's that. Okay. So pre-listing package. The pre-listing package goes before you do, handles the objections so that the closing is easier. When you don't use that, the sellers hang on to their objections and then you try and close. They didn't listen to a thing you said because they had these questions stuck in their mind. And then you end up walking away without the paperwork. Now closing, by the way, as Julie just said, is it's natural ending. Oh, is that your next point? Yes. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> it's okay. So point number nine is how much you read my mind. Okay. Point number nine, you didn't close at all. Some of you guys are great at everything up until the close because it freaks you out. If you find yourself walking out the door saying, okay, I'll follow up in a few days, you're not closing. You didn't actually ask for the business. This seems like such a small point, but many coaching clients report that simply asking directly for the business has made a huge difference in their appointment to listing taken ratio. And you follow our process. There is no like, you're not working up to some crescendo of stress where it's time to basically turn the light on them and, you know, put them in some sort of no, like no, old no, school no. 1950s cop no. show where you're interrogating <laughs> them and get them to sign contracts. You don't have to get out your, you know, your, your meat cleaver, the threat and smashing no. fingers. It's not like that. Closing is a natural end to a great presentation. And that's see, it. that's the problem. They run into problems because they didn't do a great presentation because they didn't use a pre-listing package, which handled the objections before they got there. Do you see how all these things are related, right? That makes the close very difficult and awkward and potentially confrontational. You know it's potentially confrontational, so you end up not asking for the business. Because you're not a professional. You have, and it's, I remember very clearly, we had somebody in a presentation where we were doing it live. It was in Hawaii, mm -hmm. who stood up. He was a very nice guy. I was actually surprised how transparent he was. So he lost a listing. He was, you know, in front of all the agents in his office. Yeah. Do you remember? I do. And um, he asked me why I didn't take the listing. And he gave some good details and I saw quite a few things. But I said, it's because you didn't earn the, essentially you did not deserve the listing because you did not. In you didn't the provide eyes the of, value. You did, in the eyes of the seller, they didn't feel like you provided the value. They did not believe that you were worth uh, you know, paying to sell their expensive house versus whom they hired. And that was his fault for not having, guess what, pre-qualified, sent a pre-listing pack, knew all the ebbs and flows of what was going on in the seller's life. Then he would have actually done the job. Then he would have taken the listing. Now, some of you guys will rationalize your losses by, you know, making up excuses or you'll say, well, they, you know, this other agent or this other brokerage, they promised all this extra marketing or they're going to fly the Goodyear blimp over their house and all the rest of it. All of that stuff, guys, all of the stuff that floats. Matter of fact, you might even ask the seller why they listed with the other agent and they might tell you it's because of the marketing and whatever. Well, that is a really shitty way to find out why you didn't lose the listing. Doesn't it make sense that you would have you had already covered any potential objections or any potential little gotchas that your competing agents are going to throw your way during a you know list, competitive listing process, you have to cover that ahead of time. That's what the pre-listing pack does. The pre-listing pack and our process eliminates all objections before you even get to the seller's house. 
and frankly, objections that maybe the seller hadn't even you know dreamed up yet. <laughs> well, right? okay, so why do sellers, when you don't use a pre-listing package, why do sellers just ask you, will you cut your commission? It's because they don't know what else to ask you. And that's why the pre-listing package shows them what they really should be valuing. And you know, I have to point this out because I hear this from coaching clients so many times. Once they start, after they polish their pre-listing package and they understand how to present it, they always say the same thing. I used it for the first time and oh my gosh, that was so much easier. The seller does not want you in their house. The seller does not want to negotiate price terms or commission with you. The seller, like I was joking with you earlier, listeners, wants to go back to watching Wheel of Fortune, right? So you represent stress in their lives. When you send a pre-listing pack that makes the whole damn process easy, removes all the stress and makes you the next natural obvious choice for them to be their listing agent, they are grateful for that. That's right. Only when you do it right. Okay. Point number 10, you overdid the pre-qualifying. This is what happens after they start using a pre-qual script, right? Sometimes the mistake is when you overdo the pre-qualifying and you actually talk yourself out of the listing appointment. This is a common mistake that is rooted in fear of success. Remember the previous rule that if they have to sell, you have to take the listing unless they're severely overpriced or just too combative. Here's your rule. If they have to sell, you have to list it. That's it. Yeah. Even it, if they want a little bit higher than you do. It, it doesn't matter. I mean, Julie was telling me about a listing appointment. Okay. Go ahead and tell them. Know, the poor, one you were telling me about. Gunner. Gunner listens too. Okay. Uh, hey, Gunner. <laughs> out in uh, Seattle. Okay. So the seller prospect, uh, let's just say is in the adult entertainment uh, industry. All of the uh, bedrooms are painted black and a lot of other, let's just say, kind of sketch, um, you know, not exactly staged the way that you would want. However, why would you take that? It's going to be tough. It's going to take over $100,000 to rehab that. So they're going to have a choice. Either just put it on as, as is or do the work and maybe ask a little bit more. Why would you want a listing like that? Here's why. Because the seller's getting divorced, has to sell the house. Somebody's going to get a paid a commission on that house. Hold on. Did you talk about the black walls and the fact that the guy was a porn star? Oh, I said it nicer than that, but yes. Oh, they'll tell the whole story. Don't skip the <laughs> no, best part. No, that's right. I said adult entertainment. Yeah, yeah but he's a porn star. Don't so. skip the details. You're not giving any names. It's fine. No, it's okay. So, so yes, the house has, uh, let's just say, decor issues and needs to be fixed up. Now, it would be easy to over prequal and say, why would I want that listing? I don't want that listing. That's going to be a nightmare. I'm going to have to overcome all these things. But applying that rule, Gunner and uh, Brian co-listing with you, the seller has to sell, so take the listing. Don't over pre-qualify. Many agents would have just walked away from that. Okay, point number 11, you weren't prepared for any or all of the common objections. We handled this a little bit talking about the pre-listing package, but here's the common objections that the pre-listing uh, package will handle. I'm gonna probably list with the neighborhood expert, specialist, etc. I'm considering listing with my friend. I'm also interviewing the agent who sold me the house. I'm not sure where I can move since there's nothing for me to buy. By the way, we have podcasts about how to handle that specifically. Why do I have comps that you don't have? So here's the secret. Always research your competition. Tim talked to you about that earlier. Who sold them the house? Who markets in their neighborhood? Whom did they say they were interviewing when you used your prequal script? You did use a prequal script, right? So another secret, always know the stats on those agents. What is their expired rate? How long have they been in the business? How many listings do they sell versus buyer sides? Do they have any suspensions to their license? These are all things that are easy to find out. So when Julie and I, after we'd been in real estate for three or four years, we were usually one of the top I don't know, 20, sometimes the top 10 agents uh, in our uh, board of realtors, 
right? We sold in Central Ohio, so it's a Columbus Board of Realtors. And so what we would do when we were, we would be competing all the time. We never had any easy listings. Towards the end, like we'd have more repeat and referral. It became 50% of our business. But we go on these listing appointments. What Julie and I would have is we, in our briefcase, we would uh, bring along, especially in the more expensive listings, we would bring uh, listing appointments. We would bring a list of the top 100 agents uh, in the Board of Realtors with all their statistics. How many of them are on the list side? How many of them are their buy side? What's their list to sell price ratio? What's their days in the market? Uh, actually, I think it was the top 300, mm-hmm. right? And so we would be on a listing appointment and you know the seller still was like, you know what? I know Bob from the tennis thing and our kids play together and... Um, and I'd say, well, you know, have here's Julie and I are in, you know, Columbus right now. We're in the third top agent in listing, uh, and maybe in your market, we're the number one listing agent. So here's the top 300 agents in the board of realtors. Why don't you see where Bob is? And I remember, I know guys that is aggressive and you're right. It is aggressive, but guess what? Julie and I only accepted a hundred percent of the listings we went on. We would not accept 50%, let alone 90%. Not losing. Nope. Well, here's what you discover that Bob did not was not truthful uh, representing where he actually was in terms of sales, and so he may have you know I think blew up his uh, their perception of him by saying I'm the double diamond ruby award or <laughs> right. there's always you know, an award to bring always about. an award always some board of realtors award so we, attendance I remember watching the sellers in some of these situations we wouldn't do this every time like I said it was only a a tool we'd pull out of our toolbox when necessary but the seller flipping through and it just not even seeing Bob on the list of the top 100. Oh, well, keep going. Let's see where he wasn't on the top 200. Maybe he was like 298 and Julie, and I were like number three or four. And I remember the seller's reactions when that would happen. And usually it was the end of the, okay. I mean, I, they wouldn't even say anything. We're going to list with you. That's the kind of, uh, competitive advantage that you only have after you've been successful for at least three or four years doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's the reason that once you actually have worked doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level for a long period of time, you cannot stop. You still build momentum, but things do get easier. There's no two ways about it. So we teach you guys all this in Premier Coaching. We want you to win 100% of the time. Losing literally costs you too much money. Oh, that's right. I mean, you put together the CMA, you previewed, you use your prequal script, you do all these things, you show up, you need to take the listing. But Julie, there's another aspect to it too. Too much money, it also implies if you lose, you are you can have the best mindset there ever was, but it's going to psychologically adversely affect you. 100%. And if you lose multiple times, um, you were telling me about one of your coaching clients in Canada mm-hmm. who had two real, you know, difficult sellers Mm -hmm. and it took a little wind out of his sales and he had to build it back up. It can can wreck your confidence. Exactly. So that's the real, I mean, obviously the cost of not getting the business, that's a cost, but then the psychological cost, especially if you don't catch it, you could have one shitty experience, one, you know, listing you didn't take that you thought for sure you should have taken it. Now all of a sudden you are essentially breeding mountains and mountains of self-doubt. And so that one little bad experience now has turned into a bad week, a bad month, a bad year, a bad three years. And you're wondering why you're sort of a not progressing in your career and why you're stagnating. It probably goes back to one or two or three experiences that took the wind out of your sails. Yeah, and, it, and you know what they do? They, they start blaming real estate. They'll be like, oh, this business is too hard. Or, you know, people in real estate are all mean. It's not real estate. It's the skill level. That's, well, it is. that's what it comes but down it's to. A skill, it's a skill level. It's not following a proven presentation. It's the, I mean, the word that just popped in my mind, but it is true. It's the arrogance of believing 
that a skill set in one market will translate or transfer to another market. It's the arrogance and believing that you can get into real estate and somehow, you know, magically weave together an incredible listing process, listing scripts. There's so many of you listening who make your lives so much more difficult than they have to be because you don't just follow a, a proven path. Why don't you do it? It just doesn't even make sense. Now I realize only a certain percent of you are really that truly that serious about your real estate business. If you want to know if you're serious about your real estate business or if you're not truly serious about your real estate business, ask yourself this simple question. Are you following an actual predictable, duplicatable system when it comes to, you know, setting pre proactively setting appointments, pre-qualifying? Do you actually have exact steps in place where you know what's going to happen every single time and it happens every single time and you know what the result's going to be every single time. You don't. That's the reason you guys need to obviously join Premier Coaching. Don't wait around to have the failures uh, essentially make it so that you psychologically and financially can't stay in real estate. It is, it's, it's tragedy when you allow that to happen. So use this as your wake-up call. That's right. So you don't have to be perfect at everything to be a successful listing agent, but you do have to be perfect about some things. Review what we just talked about. Start to polish your listing skills by improving the following. Here's your short list. This is what we do in coaching to turn you into powerful listing agents. Generating the lead in the first place, obviously. We've got to talk about lead generation. But moving on to fo uh, following furiously fast lead follow-up, using a pre-qualification script every time, sending a proven pre-listing package every time, using our seven-step listing process, always show up at least five minutes early, ask questions and deliver your presentation based on what's important to them. Okay, so here's the bottom line, guys. We've given you a lot of information on today's show, and hopefully we've somewhat entertained you. <laughs> <laughs> we always have stories, right? Yeah, we do. We yeah. love our... We, yeah, it is, it is kind of funny. So it, it, you know, I don't think our stories, our personal stories from our personal real estate career mm -hmm. are anywhere near as good as our coaching clients. I know, and I am collecting them. I'm going to turn them into a book at some point. Yeah, I, I, let me end with a, a funny story. Okay. All right, so... <laughs> Which one will you come up with? Oh, I know. Because I don't know. I, I'm just trying. I'm debating whether or not I should say who the name of the celebrity is. And I just decided I'm going to. Uh-oh. Um, all right. So I get a call from a um, long time. He's more of a friend now than a coaching client. But he was a coaching client for a long time. This must be Ben. Named Ben. Yeah. yeah. Ben Salem out in LA. And Ben is a fantastic agent. He's a really good guy. Just Julie and I, when we were out in California, we visited with him and his family. Just brilliant people. All right. So Ben gives me a call. And he had on the other line, Charlie Sheen. Mm -hmm. And Char this was back, you know, some of you, probably most of you remember Charlie Sheen, but there was a time when he was a mega celebrity yeah. and he, he had this, one of the things he bought back in the eighties, I think, was this huge mansion. Well, actually it wasn't even that big, but it was a mansion in, um, obviously in, in Beverly Hills. And so in this mansion, it was exactly like you'll picture it. You can find pictures of it online. It looks beautiful, but it's definitely dated. The problem was, is that there was a little hidden room in the basement that was a literal dungeon. And yes, that kind of dungeon, the dungeon that you're envisioning right now, that type of dungeon. Yeah. And it was not something, obviously, a lot of people were going to be that enthusiastic, you know, having some sort of really, I think, you know, something looks like. Let's just say it was very specific. Lots of, you know, <laughs> whips and chains and pulleys and you know, red and black and just disgustingness. You wouldn't want to go in there with a blue light is what I'm trying to say to your yeah. listeners. Yeah. All right. So, so Ben is trying to do his best and trying to explain to Mr. Sheen while I'm listening in and, uh, you know, kind of coaching him as to how to work through the sense, the, uh, the issue of a condition issue compounded with a sex dungeon issue, 
You know, okay, you guys Can get you the imagine point. the feedback. <laughs> well, the funny part was, is yeah. that a lot, you know, some of the, the people looking at the house were also celebrities. And mm -hmm. usually when you have in LA and these really expensive listings, there are NDAs that are signed. There are, uh, you know, forms that are signed. The listing agent won't be allowed to be at the house during the showing because so-and-so is seeing it. Um, sometimes a celebrity, if, you know, certain profile or levels of celebrity, they don't even look at the house. They send their assistants and their assistants take videos. It's very complex, you know, uh, but all that is interwoven into a lot of really hilarious stories. And I could tell you more and more and more because Julie and I <laughs> over the years have coached some of the most successful agents in the nation. Yeah. Uh, and again, I'm just thinking as I'm talking, <laughs> I mean, I'll tell you another one. Okay. Okay. I'm going to tell you another one. Sorry. So, <laughs> Uh, I don't remember these names, but you guys, this is fairly recent. There was a Chinese dissident who was a very rich billionaire who was uh, attached with Steve Bannon. And I'm not being political. I'm just telling you the story. Re Facting. Research this yourself. Right. So this Chinese guy was supposedly on the hit list from the, uh, from the government of China, and they supposedly wanted to kill him for things that he said that were anti-Chinese government and all this other stuff. It was in the news. And again, this may be three or four years ago. Well, so this guy had a yacht that he had moored in international waters off the uh, coast of, you know, New York City. I don't... This is a Rob deal, I think. Maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm just telling you what I remember. I don't... You know, this is all it was. So the Steve Bannon tie-in was, you guys might remember when he finally, I guess he got arrested. Again, I'm not political. He was arrested on that guy's yacht. So here's what happened. That guy would come in. Uh, off the yacht and his little dinghy, which you can imagine is probably like a hundred foot boat. <laughs> a you mini know? yacht. Yeah, a mini yacht. And he would come in every day. He'd look at three or four properties and then he would leave again. And he was doing this like in just looking at random apartments in New York. But the experiences and the stories that were associated with the interactions that our coaching client had with him were just hilarious. The The security, the helicopters, the, you know, James Bond crap that was going on constantly. I mean, there's so many it's things like a movie. Like that. Yeah. So our stories pale in comparison. I mean, Julie and I sold real estate in Columbus, Ohio, for God's sake. Yeah. We had some weird stories, but. Well, yeah. I will say this. Yeah. So our, the second half of our career selling real estate, we sold a New Albany Country Club and uh, New Albany Country Club was developed by Les Wexner. Mm -hmm. And Les Wexner, who you guys might know, was associated with Jeffrey Epstein. Which we didn't know at the time. Which we didn't know at the time, but we, uh, a lot of the people you guys read about on the news, Julie and I knew through social connections where we were at parties with them and we'd seen all of them. And guess what? We knew there were bags of creep when we knew, when we were there. <laughs> right. I mean, they Something were. Something just didn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. no, it, they were creepy yeah. as hell. And everyone yeah. would, everyone who was, uh, had been part of that social circle for a long period of time yeah. who they knew we weren't, we were bootstrap types that right. sort of found ourselves mm -hmm. walking amongst the billionaires. <laughs> yeah. Um, they would warn us. Yeah. <laughs> were, and the levels of security us. were pretty outrageous too, but yeah, yes. It yeah. was. I mean, there was Mossad walking around protecting Wexner and Wexner has, uh, we went to uh, some, you know, uh, parties at his house. He, oh my God, the house is ridiculous, but the art he had on the wall, he has what's rumored to be now, uh, the world's uh, most valuable collection of vintage Ferraris. Mm -hmm. I mean, all these crazy things, but this happens only when you're a listing agent yes. is the world of story. Well, but you know, there is a point to that too, which is, and this goes to the fact that it is mental labor, right? And it is a lot more interesting. I have to say, one of the things that we work with, with our listing agents and coaching is become more interesting yourself, study things, be able to look at the art in a high-end property, 
You know, when you want to sell luxury, you have to know something about that. Have those conversations. The people are really interesting. Well, you're making all my rambling stories actually relevant to the podcast, which I appreciate. I'm trying to reel this back in. <laughs> Thank you for reeling me back in. But what she's saying is exactly right. We wouldn't be involved in those social circles back when we sold real estate if the people that had been part of those social circles for generations didn't at least find us somewhat interesting. You guys get it? Yeah. And so we had to become the people that they would want to be friends with. And that would, that was, again, all, all part and parcel of our upward ascension. And so we had to, like Julie said, we had to study art, different architecture. We had to know about the things that they were interested in. And fortunately, most of them were interesting ourselves, Jeffrey Epstein aside. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact is, is that those, you know, where'd they go for uh, in, in the summer? Where were the places that they would visit out in Colorado? What were the, you know, clothes that they liked to buy? What were the, all of that? You know, um, and we've taught our coaching clients over the years. I remember when I started coaching Rob Johnson, he's the number one agent in Greenwich, Connecticut. One of my favorite coaching clients of all time, frankly, he, uh, we encouraged him. He already had a fleeting interest with a lot of different things that the aristocrats mm -hmm. in Greenwich were interested in. Right. And so what I encouraged him to do was join a hunting club. Okay. When you're at the hunting club. I want you to really learn the hell out of about shotguns. Yeah. Now I knew enough about shotguns because I studied it when you and I were, you know, mm -hmm. up and coming. So we too would be interesting to those types of people. Sure. And guess what happened? They ended up doing business with us, and they ended up doing business with Rob because he wasn't just showing up as a uh, you know carpetbagger at this you know hunting club that was four hundred years old or whatever. He actually knew about the different shotguns, knew about the history of it. When in Rome, right? Right. He knew about who the manufacturers were in England and Italy and all of the rest of it. That's fun, but that's really what it takes. Some of you guys are sta you're you're stalled. You know, essentially you're stagnant. You're not progressing. You're you're intentionally keeping yourselves in these tiny little Julie and I call them golden cages, right? Everything's good enough, everything's easy enough, but you stalled out. You're not evolving. You're not moving forward, and it's starting to wear away at you, your soul. Some of you, 1% of you, you know what I'm talking about. You need to put yourself back in a situation where you're curious. You need to make it so you're no longer the big fish in the small pond. And when you do that, it is scary, but it's also exciting. It makes you feel incredibly alive and also makes you so much more. If you want to know how to have, you know, everlasting levels of motivation, if you need to uh, be motivated to do something, don't even do it in the first place. Because when you are needing motivation to take action, whatever motivation you get from some external source, it could even be Julie and I, it's not going to last so you need to look for things that naturally align with the person you're trying to become. And then one thing is feeding itself. And now what you have is this never ending wave of motivation because you see yourself progressing. That's what training is all about. That's what coaching is all about. That's why so many agents are moving over to EXP Realty. Look for ways to challenge yourself and just be always grateful because look, guys, we are all blessed to be alive at this time. We're all blessed to be in this industry. We're all blessed to be selling real estate in a market like this one, because it allows this sort of embedded, uh, the new agent or the agents that have always wanted to become listing agents, it allows for a level playing field because the agents that have been dominant in the country for the most part have never had to develop skills. Now, if you develop skills faster than them and you start competing with them, you will start beating them.
That is what happens in a market like this. It doesn't happen in the other market because the sellers don't really care who they list with because they know the house is going to sell itself. So listen, guys, Julie and I obviously could talk for days. <laughs> Sometimes we do. Yeah. We <laughs> love the fact you've kept this the number one listen to daily podcast for real estate professionals in at least the United States. It is our pleasure and our honor. A lot of you are moving forward and joining Premier Coaching. We certainly appreciate that. The links are in the show description below. If you'd like to join Julie and I at eXp Realty, we strongly encourage you to do that as well. Again, the links... Uh, to do so are in the show description. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the five-star reviews. We certainly appreciate all the love and the support we've received from you guys over the years. It is our pleasure and honor to be or at least your hopefully somewhat entertaining podcast host and your present or future uh, real estate coaches. Have a fantastic day. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>